he's going to leave the city of Jerusalem for the last time and never come back until the great parousia of his final presence. And when I say never, the never for the nation is forever other than His coming in judgment. These words are our Lord's last to Jerusalem. And the consequences are two. The first is the consequence of missed opportunity found in the 37th verse of the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It is our Lord's lamentation over Jerusalem and an expression of profound grief at the nation's failure. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you wanted not. It's a reminder to me of a previous time in the history of the nation. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah writes, as you know, an entire book that is entitled Lamentations. It is a lament. It's an expression of sadness over what is about to happen to this great city of Jerusalem. Lamentation of Jeremiah chapter 1. In verses 1 and 2, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. She's become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her. Among all her lovers, all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. That is a lament of the prophet over the great city and nation. Our Lord comes, says, the last great prophet whose words are lasting to give to us a lamentation over the city of Jerusalem in his final words to the city before he leaves. In that sense, Israel has failed her final probation. They have missed the greatest visitation of all times. The Messiah has come. They have yawned. And He leaves, never to return until the last judgment. For those of you who might seek a prophetic analysis of this, the prophet Daniel gives it to us in the ninth chapter of the book that bears his name. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 in the 26th verse speaks in a compressed form our words of lamentation this morning. Then after the 62 weeks, a Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war and desolations are determined. The reference to Jerusalem in my own mind is a substitution for the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the city. You know that uh, this is uh, the final week of our Lord's life. He has spent it teaching in the temple. 
And over and over again, the leaders have sent emissaries to question our Lord. Really to run Him down, to catch Him in a trap. At every juncture, they have failed. And in their failure, there is something of the basis for this great word of lamentation. It is a reminder in terms of application that corrupt leaders corrupt everything and everyone. And the spiritual leaders of the nation have fallen away from their calling from God and they are corrupting everything. Certainly, the temple precincts that belong to the Lord of the temple, our Savior. God sent messengers, they said no. Now God has sent the last great messenger in His Son, and they say no to Him. The charge is not a new one, but it is about to intensify with the crucifixion, and He will hold them to account. It's a great illustration of this in Mark chapter 14 in the 21st verse. There is accountability. God is gracious. He comes with mercy. But when men say no to him, there are consequences. It is said of Judas, who was numbered among the apostles, who heard the teachings of our Savior, who traveled with him, who probably did miracles in the name of Christ. Mark says, better had that man never been born. It's the agent who betrayed Christ. We live in a culture who really knows nothing of of personal responsibility, or at least we are long in the tooth of rejecting it. But when God's grace comes and we yawn and turn away, accountability will soon be knocking. Those are some of the most chilling words in all of Scripture. Better had that man never been born. And so it is with those who reject the Savior. It is the consequence of squandering the spiritual opportunity of the divine presence of Christ Himself. The spiritual degradation that provokes the humanity of Jesus to profound compassion begins in the 37th verse. It's an expression of the perceptive will of God. If you look at the text, again, the first part of the 37th verse Uh, we find uh, the second line of the text, I wanted. Christ has a desire expressing the precepts of His humanity, that He wants something. The object was to gather her children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It's a great metaphor that speaks to divine protection. I think it's one of the greatest promises in all of the Scripture. That God protects His people. And when you reject that, you are in a serious way. Typically, people say, I don't need God. I don't need His protection. They have no clue what they are rejecting when they utter such words. Because there is only safety in God. I'm reminded in our culture that we turn to our emissaries of law enforcement, and God bless all of them. We turn to our firemen, and God bless all of them. We turn to our military. Uh, We turn to emissaries of the State Department to work protection for us. We turn to the Central Intelligence Agency. 
But really when it all is said and done, there's only one pure source of protection, and that is the Lord God. That all of us live in slippery places. Final analysis, only God can keep His people, and that God does for His people. It's a measure of this metaphor found in the book of Deuteronomy. 32nd chapter. In verses 10 and 11. He found him in a desert land, in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. It's God coming for His people Israel caught in the bondage of a false god, Pharaoh. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. His wings. It's a great reminder of of God coming for His people to protect them. It's also one of the saddest notes in all of the Scripture that ultimately they could have cared less. comes as no slight reminder that throughout their wilderness wanderings, they begin to turn their affections back from that which God delivered them from. Another great reminder of God's protection for His people is Psalm 91. It's a psalm that speaks to the eternal security of the people of God that we live indeed in a howling wilderness and there is danger at every hand. But God comes to His people with His Word and speaks to them of His power to protect the fourth verse of the 91st Psalm. He will cover you with His wings and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. I might remind you by way of application that in a fallen world, and indeed we live in a fallen world, God is the only place of safety. And for all of this, what Jesus got for His desires is also expressed in the 37th verse. And you wanted not. They spurn one of the greatest promises of all time. It comes knocking upon their door. And they yawn and go back to, I don't know, television, the radio station, whatever it was. They could have cared less for the solemnity of the visitation that had come. He wanted, the Lord God wanted, and they wanted nothing to do with Him. Jesus made repeated offers. They refused the occasion of His presence. The lament is an expression of our Lord's profound disappointment. His precepts announce life. In all of the Scripture, the Word of God calls us to life, that God gives life. They chose death. 
and death they will get. Reminder of this in the 30th chapter of the great prophet Isaiah. Strange that God comes with such great promises and men turn to that which is utterly worthless and cheap and fading away. Isaiah chapter 30 in the 15th verse. Another reminder from the Old Testament of the promises of God and the unwillingness of those who receive the promises. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said, in repentance and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing. It's our reminder, of course, of responsibility. Grace. Grace is always followed by accountability. Their unwillingness to embrace Jesus is the proximate cause of terrible disaster of which we will read in the following two chapters. I might remind you in terms of the ministry. You hear the word. Delay sometimes is deadly. The time is now. Jesus was present and they said no. God and Jesus visited and she said no. The moment is gone forever. Never to return until the final judgment. There's something of this in the Gospel of Luke in the 19th chapter. Verses 41-42. to And when he approached, he saw the city and he wept over it. And saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which made for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. We have a way of thinking that the opportunity will always come back. I don't have time, Lord. I've got to go to school. I've got to graduate. I've got to plan my career. And Jesus weeps and He says, if you had known the time of your visitation, but now it's gone forever. I don't know when that point of no return comes. I only know that there's a great example in the text this morning that the city and the nation has said no to God and He leaves the city for the last time never to come back. That there are those occasions in life when you can squander opportunity of the greatest significance and accountability comes in a terrible and tragic way and sears the conscience in terrible ways. You can say no, but you cannot deny the judgment. You can say, when I'm old, I'll get to you, Lord. And you know not the words that you speak. The occasion here is national rejection. Jeremiah chapter 12. The 7th verse. prophet is writing. We know him as the weeping prophet because he knows Babylon is going to come and invade the nation because they have said no to God. And it is indeed a dangerous thing to say no to God. And so God responds, I have forsaken my house 
I have abandoned my inheritance. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. You see, there is a consequence for squandering the opportunities of the grace of God. It's a great historical analogy, not on a national level, but on an individual level of something that I'm trying to say. One of the men of great infamy of the American Revolution, a man by the name of Aaron Burr. You and I know him for many things, uh, perhaps uh, killing Alexander Hamilton in a duel. But when he was a student, a young man at Princeton, New Jersey, it was an occasion of which the Spirit of God in a very profound way had come to that institution and a revival broke out in a very profound way. And students were coming to Christ. And Aaron Burr fell under great conviction, troubled by the fact that he was a sinner. And he had heard the gospel of Christ. And the conviction dogged him. Until finally one day he awakened and said, God, if you will leave me alone, I will leave you alone. At that point, the Spirit of God in conviction never returned to him. And he died unregenerate and fell into lasting judgment. For it is appointed unto man once to die, the author of the book of Hebrews says, and after that, the judgment. Sometimes we hear the phrase, carpe diem, seize the day. If not now, when? If you're not a Christian, you might say to yourself, give me a lot of other Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays. I don't know. You may not live out this day. If you're a professing Christian and you attend church regularly, like, like four times a year, it seems to become regular in our culture. Maybe you need to seize the day. Because every missed occasion sears the conscience. A reminder that delay is deadly. There are consequences to playing fast and loose with the Lord God and His Word. Jesus wanted, but they wanted not. So the first consequence is that of missed opportunity. The second consequence is even more profound. The finality of his departure, verses 38 to 39. As I've suggested, he's leaving the city for the last time. I think about that on occasion in my own life. I, you know, my father, for example, died at a fairly young age. Sometimes think about, you know, when was the last time I rode in the car with him to go to a place? I wish I had known. I wish I had known that day because I would have said something different. 
Who knows? The moment was come and gone and gone forever. Life is like that. So is the coming of Christ by His Spirit. We know that's the last time from the first verse of the 24th chapter and Jesus came out from the temple and was going away never to come back. Plenty of time, is there? Maybe not. Maybe the occasion for squandering a missed opportunity is something that will never return. With God and Jesus absent, there is no occasion for blessing. Absent Jesus, there is no satisfaction or forgiveness. With His absence, divine justice will come. Jerusalem has left God and the glory of God in Christ is departing the temple never to come back. So we read in the 38th verse, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Expression of judgment. They they say no. This is our Lord's answer. The city will be left desolate. It is our reminder that rejecting Him is no small matter, for it means His withdrawal and perpetual ruin. Notice that the text reads something that's very unique to me. Verse 38, your house is being left desolate. doesn't read God's house because God Himself and the Spirit had long since departed. They had corrupted His house. I think about that a lot with respect to denominations and churches. I know what the name says on the outside. Something, something church. Something, something general assembly of whatever, whatever. But is it God's or has it become man's? Has the greatest of institutions in all of time and history been corrupted by the way of man, seeking power, perhaps riches, popularity, who knows? But there is a great change in words from your house to God's house. I wonder sometimes about people who go in and remain in corrupted denominations. And we know they're corrupt by their departure from the great creedal statements that once defined them. We know they are corrupt by the immorality of sometimes their bishops and their great leaders. But people go into those churches and sometimes they stay. Thinking what? Oh, I'll, I'll change it from within. I'll stay to, to be a fireman. I mean, who's to say, but my experience more often than not is it never works out that way. Sometimes in a household fire, you have but a few moments. And what do we do? Uh, let me go get my engagement ring. Uh, let me go get my, 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 my favorite shirt, my, my favorite suit. Uh, let me go get the sterling. And there's no time. Explosions occur. and Squandering of the occasion is gone forever. Death abounds.
It is a reminder that men corrupt the great institution of God and the church. And they will pay a heavy price. Great illustration of that, we've studied time and again in the Gospel of Matthew. Better for those men to take a millstone around their neck and jump off into the great Marianas Trench and fall thousands of feet compressed by the weight of the ocean. You mess with God's people. It would be better for you to die instantly than to incur greater and greater judgment and to lead people astray into the ditch. We sometimes have a way of saying, well, there's plenty of time. Well, I don't know. I don't keep the Lamb's book of life. I believe in the doctrine of election. I know that God will save all of His people in His own time and providence. And that none will be lost. But from a pastoral standpoint of which I can only speak, I know that delay is deadly and squandering the great opportunities of the Word of God comes sometimes with a searing price. In this occasion, God and Jesus is leaving. They had no desire for confession and repentance. The text is an allusion, I believe, to, again, Jeremiah 22nd chapter, the fifth verse. If you've never studied the book, you know exactly what's occurring. The prophet comes to warn. They simply hit the snooze button and fall back into the slumber of their spiritual sleep, never to awaken until the armies invade and totally destroy everything in their path. Jeremiah chapter 22, in the fifth verse. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house will become a desolation. In terms of our Lord quotation or allusion, pardon me, of this prophecy, it's uh, expressed in terms of indirect fulfillment. It occurred immediately in the days of the prophet Jeremiah, but it's now going to occur again in the life of Christ, the greater prophet. Jeremiah is announcing the coming of Babylon in judgment for their spiritual failures. The greater fulfillment is now going to come. Titus and his Roman legions totally destroy the temple. They rejected Jesus and He will retaliate. They were squandered the great gift of time that God had given to them and all of the messengers that He had sent. And they hit the snooze button and go back to spiritual sleep. And so judgment will come and they will be unable to hit the snooze button and it will be too late. It's difficult to capture the pathos here but there is no greater disaster than God leaving for the last time. You know, sometimes we have this phrase, you're the last person to leave, turn out the lights. The lights are about to be turned off. We presume He will always be there for us. Be careful with presumption. We presume that judgment will never come. Be careful with such presumption. 
It's a great reminder of this in terms of an immediate summons. Turning back to the Old Testament. One of the wisest men that ever lived named Solomon. And Solomon, in a season of his life, lost his way. Sought wisdom everywhere. But in the way that God had ordained in His Word. He went down every path and knocked on every door. And when the door opened, he went in with every gusto you could imagine, only to find and realize that it was a mirage and an empty promise. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a great picture of the world. There's only safety in God. There's only life in the Lord God. But it's instructive when you come to the final chapter of the book that Solomon regains a measure of the wisdom that he had formerly given away at a high price. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1 begins, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil day has come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Remember, God is your Creator. That God knitted and formed you in the womb of your mother. And if you're a Christian and know Jesus Christ, your great spiritual Creator is the Lord Jesus Christ and He knitted you and put you together in the providence of His sovereign grace. Never forget that. Remember it and hold it dearly on every day of your life. For it will hold you in good stead when the evil day comes, knocking on your door. Verse 6, remember Him. Because we are so prone to forget, are we not? The great application to me is verses 13 and 14. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments. Because this applies to every person. Because God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And those, my friends, are words spoken to each of us on this day. as an occasion, reminder of the grace of God. Because God will bring every act into judgment and call everything into account. And there will be no secrets before His eyes. That God has made a way of escape in Jesus. Take haste to enter and so to make your calling and election sure for the consequences are eternal. My nightstand, I don't have a radio because I just don't have a clock. There's another radio in my bedroom, though, and it has a snooze button. Be careful of hitting the spiritual snooze button in your life too many times. Because when you deal fast and loose with the grace of God and you don't seize the day, your conscience gets seared. And when you squander opportunities, there's a price to be paid. In the case case of 
the national election of Israel, the consequences are now eternal. The departure is clear in the last verse. For I say to you, from now on you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, Christ will not be seen again in the temple precincts until the last great day of judgment. The words from now on to me are chilling. Imagine those of you who are married if you realize the time that your spouse, for whatever reason, is going to be taken from you for the last time. Or those of you with children that were going to be taken from you for the last time. Or maybe your mind may be taken from you for a final time. And realize the importance of the day to be seized, to be grasped, to pursue the Lord strength and vigor. The quotation from the Old Testament is Psalm 118, verse 26. Interestingly enough, in the original context, it's a prayer for salvation. It is something of an invitation to be sure. Christ will answer it in His second coming when all will acknowledge Him as Messiah. It is a time of universal confession not unlike Philippians chapter 2 and verses 9 to 11. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Both the lost and the saved will confess and acknowledge. There is a dual outcome at the coming of Christ, the rescue of His people, and recompense upon the unjust. They are the unjust. They're going to pay a heavy price. At His first coming, they denied Him. At His second coming, no one can deny Him. We have studied this concept previously, but if you want to see another commentary on it, Matthew chapter 8 and verses 11 to 12 is one such commentary. I say to you that many shall come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness in that place or shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The context is actually quite remarkable. A Gentile has received the Savior. A Gentile has come to Christ. And so our Lord gives an invitation. They will come from east and west. They will stream into the kingdom of God as Christ is turning from the nation to the nations. But notice the chilling judgment upon the nation. The sons of the kingdom will be cast outside. And someone says, wait a minute, it's not supposed to work out that way. When you reject the Savior, it will always work out that way. That is the commentary of John chapter 1, verses 11-12. He came into His own. And His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right and the privilege to become the sons of God. Notwithstanding a remnant, John documents a shift from the nation to the nations. I understand that individual 
ethnic Jews will come to Christ. Romans 9-11, to of course, would be a great expression of that reality. But as a nation, it's gone forever. All Israel will be saved, to be sure, but the context in Romans 9-11 to is a remnant. Like the 7,000 who wouldn't bow their knee to a false god and a false idol. A remnant within the nation was pure. Not unlike the church today, the entire church is not going to be saved. A remnant is going to be saved. It's one of the great points of much of the Scripture. We presume, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the church, NBD, I don't have to worry about anything. I've uh, been baptized. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll get around to it with zeal when, when uh, maybe when I'm old and, and, and have more time. You may not have any more time. Again, I don't keep the Lamb's Book of Life. I believe in the doctrine of election. I only speak as a pastor. And I know that in the doctrine of election, the outcome and the life of those whom God chooses is that we labor to make our election and calling sure. And we do that by all of the faithful application of the means of grace. But when you play fast and loose with those means, you may be damaging your soul in a way that you know not of. One of my close friends in high school, in fact, a neighbor of mine at Crown Heights, uh, friends went through high school together. Often the case when you graduate from high school, your paths uh, simply part. Occasionally would see him different places. But he married a woman that he deeply loved and cherished. Just the way sometimes God's providence works, uh, she fell ill to cancer and died. The event hung on my friend in a profound way. Couldn't shake it. I, uh, I served in the army with uh, a JAG officer who told me the story that one day he knocked upon his house uh, in sheer desperation, saying, I thought religion was something you sought when you were old. Could never recover, eventually took his own life. You never know what God has for you. And today is the day to lay hold of all of the means of grace. It's because sometimes we know not the day in which God comes to knock and visit us. There was an agnostic that would occasionally go to church and occasionally harangue his pastoral friend. Went to the pastor and said, well, when should I prepare to meet God? The pastor said, well, the day before you die. Pretty good answer. I mean, why waste your time with all these other things when you can get ready the day before you die? And then the trap closes, does it not? But what if you don't know the day you're going to die? Then seek Him today and never let up.
There are consequences to unbelief, the seriousness of which should not be lost on anyone. For what occurred nationally occurs individually. That, I think, is the great point of the text for us as Christians. The nation of Israel squandered their opportunity of the coming of God and the Messiah Christ, and he leaves never to return until the final judgment when it is too late. And they are made to confess by the majesty and the brilliance of the Son of God. I say made. I think when anyone will see Christ in all of His grandeur and glory, the instinctive response of the creature is to bow and confess. But He comes today in His Spirit that we would do it before the great parousia and the final judgment when it is too late. Let it not be said of you that you tarried too long. Come to Christ and stay close. And the consequences will be joy now, but joy forever. World without end when the eternal weight of the glory of God will fall upon the people of God and He will vindicate all of us. I say to my mother often, suffering from dementia, she lived a faithful life proclaiming the Savior. And the psalmist has a prayer, guide me in your counsel, and afterwards receive me to glory. And that is her promise. It's your promise. But hold fast to the counsel of God. Afterwards, He will receive you to glory. And so if you're not a Christian, come to the Savior. There's only safety and hope in Him. There is no safety from Him, only in Him. But if you are a Christian burdened with all the vagaries of time, and I understand we all have to study and pass the exam, we all have careers that we must give attention to, I understand those things. We all have small children that we must give time and attention to. There are many demands upon our time, but behind them all is the Lord God Almighty. Seek Him in the day that He might be found. And you will never have to worry about the spiritual consequences of squandering the greatest of all opportunities in the presence of Christ and His Word. And may that be so of each of us this great day.